Welcome back to the Keys Cast Podcast. My name is Andrew Stangler. This is Adam Fife. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about topics that we find very interesting in the world of real estate that don't necessarily pertain to our day-to-day lives as residential realtors. Um, this week's topics are is a pretty hot topic in Canada right now, and it is what is the government actually doing to making homes more affordable, if any. Um, we're going to look at it from very much a macro point of view. So it's going to be a high level. We're not going to go into it too, too far, but in the... Um, consecutive episodes after this one we're going to dive into them more individually and uh, and answer the questions that we essentially pose today is that fair to say it's a pretty hot topic andrew pretty hot topic i think a lot of people are wondering what the hell the government is doing to make houses more affordable right now well i think it's also peeling back the curtain a little bit because i mean we'll we'll, we'll go through this but i there's a lot of rewrapping being done right now so i I think a lot of it is uh is capital p politics and and we want to peel it back and say you know rather see what are they actually doing uh, to have an effective impact mm-hmm. on, on housing? Uh, here in Calgary, we've seen home prices go up as much as, you know, just about 40% in the last three years. Um, rental rates are up like 37%. Um, it, it's just been a crazy time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, naturally we aren't seeing the effect. We're on a little bit of a run right now. Is that going to come down and with some cooling or is housing going to be uh, become affordable on a different level? Mm. a month month level rather than overall price level uh we're certainly to look at that today so adam do you want to talk about maybe our five topics for today that we're going to fly through to set the stage for the uh the consecutive podcast thanks andrew i appreciate your professionalism in yeah, this yes you. andrew stengler really good realtor uh the five topics that we're actually going to talk about today are the foreign buyer ban um again we're just going to do some brief explanations about what these programs are you know our small opinions on them and maybe how they've been implemented. And then moving forward, we're going to talk about in further episodes, a lot more detail. So the five are foreign buyer ban, the 1% vacancy tax, the GST rebate on new construction, the rapid home incentive, which is very fascinating. And Andrew gets fired up with that one and the first time home buyers program. So where do you want to start, man? Let's start at the top. Um, it's, foreign buyer ban. Yeah, it's, it's commonly referred to as the foreign buyer ban, but um, the CMHC uh, calls it the Prohibition on the Purchase of Residential Property by Non-Canadians Act. Thank you for saying um, that. So I guess we'll use the, the proper term. Um, this policy, I mean, it's, it's been well talked about. It came in in January. Um, to date, we, we've covered it a little bit, but from what we can tell, it's had virtually no effect on housing costs in mm. this country. Um, it seems if you're motivated, it's pretty easy to circumnavigate, uh, really in my experience in day to day, I've, I've come across maybe three or four examples where it's applicable to properties here in Calgary. Now, maybe that's just that we don't have a huge influx like, like other municipalities Mm -hmm. in Canada, um, of, of foreign, foreign or or non-Canadian, uh, purchasers. Um, the three or four examples that I came through is in April. Uh, there was an amendment to this uh, prohibition. And so it allowed the purchase by non-Canadians of land for residential purposes. So we were able to go and, and continue on with our purpose, or our purchase rather, uh, of land and then develop a home. So we brought a new house to the market uh, rather than competing with the existing house market. Mm-hmm. However, it, well, it, it's on a macro stage, it's had zero effect on housing prices right. in Canada. I think that's fair, fair to say. It doesn't seem like there's any slowing that has been caused by it. There was a minor blip uh, in the earlier years of 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, 
would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. I think that they tried to blanket the entire country where realistically speaking, they should have more or less had it provincially. I think Vancouver, I, we, we talked about the stats and I actually don't remember them off the top of our head, but the stats are quite low. Like the, the percentages, I think out of like a million um, houses in Vancouver, like 50,000 of them or something were foreign owned. Like it was a very, very low number. So to have this program be put into place was quite interesting to say the least. Yeah, it's like they wanted to do something and this was kind of like the easy marketing or political way of saying, look at what we're doing. Yeah, it was certainly a very like bold uh, flag to fly. Mm. In, in Vancouver, there was already a foreign uh, purchaser's tax. Correct. Um, so they'd already been for a number of years coming up with ways, whether it be, you know, sending a kid here to become a student mm. and uh, and then that kid for whatever reason. So, we, we you know, on the news, I'm, I'm sure you've heard those um those those articles were you know kids that are in university with essentially no income are moving into twenty million dollar mansions in West Vancouver and and how that's actually accomplished. But I, I think there's a number of hindrances with this. I mean, my number one selling to non Canadians, especially non Canadians that don't work in Canada, um, is getting financing. If you don't have a credit score here, anything that the banks can play off of, it's very very difficult to get financing. So we're talking about individuals that are coming here with half a million, three quarters of a million, million dollars, million plus in cash, and then participating in the Canadian you know, housing economy, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very select group. And I would probably argue a group that is uh, not not beneficial <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, fair the, enough. to the Canadian uh, economy yeah. as a whole. Um, so I... From a macro point of view, which is where we're trying to stay today, I would say this has had a uh, a net neutral or a net negative mm-hmm. effect on the uh, the Canadian mm-hmm. housing economy as a whole. In Calgary, one of those places that it's not um, not a huge factor, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, it's more domestic purchases here or uh, immigration, which already fall outside of the home or the prohibition. Um so these individuals, as they're trying to get their permanent residency, mm-hmm. uh, their PR, uh, or become a Canadian citizen, can already purchase a house. They just need some type of uh, work history here if they're going to finance the mm-hmm. property. Yeah, right on, man. I think uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, foreign buyer ban, I think a little bit more of a political play. It would be very interesting to see how they measure you know, the success of that. I think it's going to be kind of brushed aside over the next few years like once it goes away i think there's going to be a lot of questions but yeah well, it's pretty hard to paint this as a victory yeah uh, absolutely so, um moving on to the next one which is the one percent vacancy tax so mm. the the top three of these when we go on to the um to cmhc the website of the prime minister the federal website when we just google the question that we're posing today what is the government actually doing to make homes more affordable the three topics that we get or the three kind of pillars that they they lean on mm. is the foreign foreign home buyers ban or the prohibition whatever you want to call it um the one percent uh flipping tax or vacancy tax uh and then gst rebate on no that's not correct the uh one percent yeah one percent annual vacant you, home tax and cracking down on speculative you actually uh emerge the one percent and then the flipping tax so those are, yeah, those are the three there. So let's touch on that 1% vacancy because at the end of the day, um, you know, if, if you have a house sitting vacant, right, and you can afford it, it's either cash or you can afford to pay that mortgage and it's sitting vacant, 1% really is a drop of the bucket. I mean, for a million dollar home, I mean, it's $10,000 a year. So, I mean, it's not nothing. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I don't really think it's going to push those people to sell. 
if you had like a 10% tax, I mean, that's a different story. But then you would just turn those into renters, right? In rental market. This one's pretty easy to pick apart. Mm. And I, I think that's probably why we've heard it the least of all of these in the news. Mm-hmm. One, Absolutely. 1% <laughs> vacancy tax. I mean, how, how do you... How do you police and quantify vacancy? Like, is mm. does it just have to have a person in the house? Mm-hmm. Can I just send my mail there? You know, is there a, a vacancy police walking around to see if neighbors how many days is it? You know, your passport being stamped in and out. Mm. If you have a friend in Canada, can you just sign a lease with them for a dollar mm-hmm. and you use the place? You know, like how how are we interesting? You know, yeah. is it is it is it a market lease? I just you know, it comes back to just really easy to circumnavigate this mm-hmm. if you're motivated. Um, poorly thought out. Yeah, again, I think it's a little bit more political. Um, I understand the reasoning and, and the theory behind it, but I just don't really see it doing much good. Um, I think it could help supply in the rental market, but I mean, the homes that are sitting vacant, I could be totally wrong, but I would have to say they're all like five hundred thousand plus. Right, and they're inching up upwards into that million dollar price point. So, you know, if it, it does help the supply in the higher end of the rental market, but it's not helping home prices by any means. If anything, it's just another money grab. Yeah, I mean in in our markets, I'd say the only the only area that this might take into effect would be Canmore. Mm, um, true. In which case I think you'd likely get either someone navigating around it or mm-hmm. someone that just doesn't care and they're going to pay the tax. Absolutely. But um, once with those prices as well up in Canmore, mm-hmm. this is not helping the general population no. of Canada bring down housing prices. Mm-hmm. The average Calgarian cannot afford a second house in Canmore. And yeah. that's just fact. So the next one, though, is quite interesting. I, I love I love how they've done this. So they've applied a new GST tax on, you know, contractors that are looking to flip properties but at the same time they've done the gst rebate on new construction so it's a little bit of a kind of almost conflicting here Mm -hmm. so what's your what's your thoughts on this uh, gst on flips yeah so i guess on the next uh the the next topic here um and and just to clarify a little bit is uh, the cracking down on the speculation that contributes from higher home prices so Instead of, if you're going to sell a property in under a year, instead of a portion of it being contributed to capital gains, uh, they'll actually tax, uh, tax the entire sum of the property. Um, Which yeah. is quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a huge jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are still doing it. I'm not entirely sure if, if they found a fix around it. For reno flips and some really crazy profits on reno flips, I think gentrification of certain neighborhoods in Calgary have really benefited from that, like the the reno flip push that we've seen in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, this type of taxation that also falls onto new homes and assignments, mm-hmm. so all new product going fair. into the market. Mm-hmm. It seems a little ridiculous that municipality wide across all of these programs. Um, developers cross country have made a ton of money and certain ones have lost a ton of money, but there's one institution that seems to always get paid whether win or lose and it's the government. And those fees have not decreased at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, they've just increased. Mm -hmm. So in a time where I'm certainly in the camp that housing affordability comes from supply and demand and we're, we're looking at massive immigration numbers over the next three years. And we haven't decreased or really created any incentive for private development. In fact, we've just raised the taxes on it. And now we're shaking our heads as to why we're not creating more and more homes to supply the current amount of people coming into Canada looking Mm -hmm. to immigrate and become citizens here. Mm -hmm. 
it's out of all of these programs, I don't think there is a single one that incentivizes the private economy, mm-hmm. that private housing building economy to create new homes. I, let's just, that was a moment of silence right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's just the, the thought process of that political party that's in power though, right? Is They've been pretty well known to continue to tax. It's driven out a lot of corporations, right? Like at 2014, 15. And it's obviously driving out some of the private sector now in the housing industry. It's just an ideology, man. It's it's kind of the way that they think and the way that they process. I was quite surprised to see the GST rebate on new construction I for rental um, purposed houses. So that was quite an interesting rebate to see. But um, I haven't actually dove into that one yet. And that's for next week. So the... Well, I thought we were going to dive on it really quickly. Do you right want now. to dive on it? Like, I mean, you can give a high level, but... I'll just to get into it in 30 the, seconds. Okay. 30 se- I'll here, time that. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> so there's uh, there's a GST rebate that the federal government's throwing around right now, presenting it. Now, this is a year. Presenting it as a brand new bill um, for new construction for the purpose of rental. Now, there hasn't been much disclosed as to how you fit into that. How, how do you get the rebate? Who applies? how long before you sell it, et cetera, et cetera. So the details haven't actually come into play. I'm going to back you up to a CRA article that I found from 2020. Um, Now, if if you are a builder and you are building rental buildings and you're good at your job, you should just be claiming ITCs throughout the whole construction process. So GST is already not a factor. However, there was already a program... um, and I'm, I'm unsure if it was in place before this, but it was certainly in place in 2020 and it's certainly consistent with right now where they classify who a builder is and you don't necessarily have to be like banging a hammer, pounding in the nails to be the builder. Um, so you can claim basically GST, a GST rebate. And so generally the CRA views you as a builder of a residential or a multi-unit residential complex for rental purposes if you build or substantially renovate a, con- uh, a complex, so you don't necessarily even have to do it new. You can just go through a substantial renovation. Um, you, uh, you, you acquire an interest in housing when it's already under construction. You acquire an interest in the housing before anyone has lived in it. Uh, you acquire uh, an interest in the residential uh, condominium unit either before the complex is registered as a condominium or before anyone has lived in it. That's longer than 30 seconds. So I'm just trying to wrap <laughs> my brain yeah, around that. I know. I'm reading it a second time. So essentially this has been thrown out. This is in, in the news this week. It was a huge, huge thing. Um, from I was listening to CBC a couple days ago, mm-hmm. and there was one lady on there that said that it's a, it's a terrible idea because it doesn't um, apply GST credit when they sell. Is there a timeline behind it? They could totally evade. They could just rent it for two years and then resell it. Mm-hmm. I think you're entirely missing the point, right? Um, this affects so little of people. Um, this has to be a project that was on the verge of profitability and a builder that for whatever reason couldn't or didn't know how to claim an ITC. But a GST, GST is only applied to the, the sale of the property when it's sold. Mm-hmm. So if you're building it or contracting it or whatever way you can represent yourself as the builder on the property, GST is not even owed on it until you actually sell the building in the long term. So if they did sell it in the long term, GST is still going to apply. However, I mean, if it does incentivize the 10 people to create product, now we're just bringing more supply to the market. What should have really been done here is a greater step. 
where they, and we'll touch on this later, but GST should no longer apply to new construction full stop for at least two years. Um, it's not going to be a huge difference. You're not handing over a ton of profit to builders. You're creating interest that builders would then make that 5%. So maybe instead of making a 25% profit, they're making a 30% profit or they're dropping the prices to be more competitive and just building a ton of supply. Mm. Um, I think the build, build, the big builders would latch onto this and create and just flood the market like they did in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So blanketed, that's basically what we've got. Or not blanketed, sorry. Uh, repainted, kind of reconstructed. Yeah, uh, there, there's a phenomenal article, and I'll see if I can find it again, and we can post it um, somewhere near this web, or near this uh, link when we post it. But um, they were calculating out the, the amount that was paid in taxes on a million-dollar property sold in Vancouver. Right, I do remember that. Right? And it was mm-hmm. like 220000 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It was ballpark, 220000 So when you buy a new product, 20%, mm-hmm. a little over 20%, almost 25% is going to just federal, municipal, and provincial taxes on any new product entering the market. Mm-hmm. And then we're wondering, I mean, yeah, it seems like, aside from the bank, the the entity that's making the most amount of money on any type of new construction is the government and it's, it'd be interesting to see where those funds are going yeah we're still in so much debt yeah <laughs> all right so that's that again we're going to dive into that a little bit more next week's podcast let's touch on the rapid housing incentive now the rapid housing incentive um seems to be a load of uh, a crock of shit to me but um andrew you've got this <laughs> load up again yeah so Rapid Housing Initiative, we haven't heard about it for a little while, but it is, um, it's an initiative that was published by the federal government at basically the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so it was painted as another initiative to provide all this new housing to the government of Canada, or not the government of Canada, but the country of Canada. So it's Canada-wide. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, where the federal government, they'll, they'll go find, they'll, they'll go look at reports and then they'll distribute it to either provinces or municipalities or directly to uh, NGOs or nonprofits or whatever it be. So they, they've split it into the cities and, uh, and project streams. Mm-hmm. To date, um, they've spent about $4 billion and they cite uh, 15,500 units built. Now on paper, that comes out to about a quarter million a unit. Considering a good amount of these units were created supposedly in BC and Ontario. Phenomenal job. However, you go into the uh, CMHC website, it's now distinguished as units or beds. Um, so I, I found that kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I dove into it a little bit further. Um, from what I can tell, virtually no new housing mm-hmm. in, in, in the macro scale was actually created. I could find a couple of projects out in Burnaby, um, like little 80 unit uh, projects, stuff like that. So I started diving into where we are, which is the city of Calgary. And, um, you know, I haven't spent a great deal of time on it, but uh, from what I could find, I could find no new projects, Mm -hmm. zero new. And so what do I mean by that? Um, I found a couple of projects that were funded by this. Rundle Manor is a great example. This is over in the Northeast. Rundle Manor was a renovation job, so it was shut down. Uh, it's owned by the Calgary Housing Company, which is basically the social housing company owned by the city. Um, Rundle Manor was previously owned by the city. It was shut down. They spent millions of dollars renovating it. And then they, they moved pe- people back in and advertised it as brand new housing. So it's new in the sense that it's renovated. But as far as number of units, 
one, there was the units never went into the, the private market. It was always held by the city. And two, it was a renovation job. There's another uh, seniors by Sylvia. There was there's quite a bit of leaf to the indigenous communities in the area. From what I can tell, either no new housing has been created as of yet, or it's been existing government-owned housing, subsidized housing um, that was renovated and flipped. For some of this, like for some of you guys, this probably isn't uh, a huge surprise, but for me it was because this program was marketed uh, somewhat as adding more units to the Calgary, um, or not to Calgary, but the, the Canadian, um, I guess, general housing, mm -hmm. housing as a whole, just more more houses in Canada. Um, but it's just not the case. I mean, the people that are occupying these spaces, not only were they never on the private market, so mm -hmm. they, they had virtually no impact, whether the units that are not are on the public or private market, the people interacting um, are usually at-risk individuals, uh, low-income in individuals. So it's noble on what they're doing. Don't get me wrong. It's just the way that it was marketed as new units. Um, no, they're, they're it's a net neutral. They, they never hit the market. They were never available on the market. They have no impact on the surrounding market. The individuals that are going into these places, presumably in the most part, were never actually interacting with either the rental or the purchasing market in, can in, in Canada as a whole. Um, so you're, you're housing people and, and that's phenomenal. I think that's, uh, that's great. It's just, it's, it has no effect on housing affordability. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're, um, creating more institutions, more, more service oriented institutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fair enough, man. I'm really glad that you dove into this a lot deeper than what I did. <laughs> I was more or less looking at this at a surface level, and I appreciate you actually taking the time and taking this podcast a lot seriously than, than I did. <laughs> yeah. So the the final one here, the first time home buyers program. I've heard I've I've heard conflicting information, but more or less negative inf information mainly from mortgage brokers. A couple of good brokers here in Calgary actually recorded some YouTube videos about how this program is just, again, just a recrafted way of um, kind of showing that the government's doing something, but they haven't really. It's more of an equity share program. They kind of up your deposit from, you know, if you don't quite have 5% up to 5%, all the way up to 10% down. And then they own a portion of equity in your home, a gain loss or, uh, sorry, a gain or a loss, of, I think up to 8%. So if the home does decrease in value, you actually don't have to pay back that loan entirely. You actually get to pay back a little bit less. And I think it's a 25 year term on that agreement. So the first time home buyers program, I don't really know too many people that have actually utilized it. I think it's more or less from their retirement savings plan. So if they have a savings, they just can tap into that savings basically tax free, mm -hmm. which I found quite interesting because yeah, I mean, if you've got the savings, there's other ways of accessing that savings yes you might have to pay a little bit for it but who do you really want to have equity in your home 100 percent you or a little bit of the government retirement savings like you're talking about the R R R S P yeah, play. yeah but that that money has to be replaced in the RRSP of course after, yeah i think they have three years right? uh yeah i think it's five five okay. yeah yeah um interesting it's, yeah it's been around for a really really long time it has There's been new and it uh, hasn't really done much i don't think yeah, like, I think the only thing that was really, um, really, really great to see was the first-time home buyers uh, tax-free savings program. Hmm. I think that's I, I haven't heard of too many people utilizing that right now, but it's so new that um, 
I, I have seen people contribute to it. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't actually interacted in a sale where we pull that money out and use it, but I think it's just, it's too new. Mm -hmm. So anyone that has accumulated since the inception, which is like 18 months ago, this uh, savings program, and they've accumulated $40,000, probably had a high enough income that they didn't really yeah, need the savings, absolutely. the savings program. So I think we're really going to see the effect of this in like three, four years. Mm -hmm. um, I think for the most part, uh, when I'm helping someone get into their first property, whether it's a, an insured mortgage, so 5 10% down, anything less than 20% down, uh, it's usually like a family member, mm -hmm. uh, a parent or whatnot that are helping them out, or a home equity line of credit against their property or whatnot. So I think this savings program is positive because it would it would displace that advantage of having family that has enough money to give you to get you into your first place and get you started. Mm -hmm. um, from what we've seen at the higher levels of, of real estates, so we're talking like a million plus, even in Calgary, and I know this is the same in, uh, in Toronto, Vancouver, the people that are playing at these ridiculous prices are often people that have made early investments, they've done really well mm -hmm. on, their, on their residential investments, gotten out because it was their primary place tax-free, and then rolled it into the next, right? So it's a little bit of a, almost like a pyramid scheme of just purchasing residential property and flipping it into the next and flipping it into the next, right? And they've, they've very, they haven't seen very much loss yet. So um, last 20 years has been really helpful for that. And I think that getting into the market, this savings program, I know we've been kind of uh, really beating down on the, on the different programs. I'd say that this is a very positive thing and should stay. Mm -hmm. And in five years, we're, we're gonna see the impact of this. Now, I think the savings limit in there is only $40,000, though. Mm. Um, that should be readdressed, similar to the first home buyers program and other CMHC programs that I just feel are out of date and, uh, and out of touch with where home prices are really at. Mm -hmm. um, it should be reanalyzed, for sure. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I actually haven't really dove. I haven't actually learned about the first time home buyer savings program. Actually, that's one of the first times I've ever heard about that. I mean, at the end of the day, I would argue that, you know, these savings programs are good, but having like it's, it's almost a lifestyle problem than it is like a savings problem. Right. It's like educating these people on how to properly prepare yourself to purchase a home. Yes, of course home prices have increased rapidly, but at the same time, I think there needs to be some sort of programs that are more in line with schooling, that people are getting taught on how to actually be you know, young professionals, even though they're not gonna be an entrepreneur, but at least set themselves up financially and budget themselves properly and all these stuff. So like you're seeing all these cool programs or like equity sharing and the rebates and stuff like that, but that's kind of like reactive. Right. Like, why not be proactive in an approach? And it's what actually really frustrates me about all levels of government is a lot of it is almost reactive. Like they, they make it sound like it's a proactive like approach. But at the end of the day, it's because something has hit the fan and now they're reacting to that. Yeah, I, I would agree that this pulled uh, um, up. But yeah, we're just I would agree that this federal government's pretty mm. reactive. We, we got to back up there. I, th I think that in, in certain cases, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you that maybe uh, savings programs or something taught within school would be a good idea, mm -hmm. but I, it's a math problem when we get to certain prices True. of housing. Yeah, right? you're on a fixed income, mm -hmm. household income is eighty thousand. So, what what is the or what what's the Calgary average right now for what gross income? No average household income. Mm, probably about one hundred and thirty would be my guess. That's your guess. I'm yeah. gonna go. I'm gonna go one ten. Go it's a little higher from what I recall. 125. Close. Ooh, no, you're closer. Yeah. 
Okay, so average household income of 125. It's it's on the higher end, but now, I mean, we're just blanketing across, right? Across mm-hmm. Canada. So I think we have the highest, no, with the exception of the Northwest Territories. Northwest Territories is the only area at really? 134,794. Damn. Average household income. It pays to be up there. Yeah. <laughs> I guess um, so. I mean, none of it's like 118. But And this is true. And But again... But, dude, but, like, look at but we're talking British about home, Columbia. We're talking about home prices increasing because the government policies of immigration, right? Like all of these people that have come into Canada has one of the, I would say one of the biggest factors of increase in home pricing. You've allowed so many people through the door, right? And I'm, I, I don't know. That'd be a wild thing to that'd be a wild thing to try to prove. I, I would say it's it's increased to this certain level. Mm. I mean, yeah, somewhat because rental prices have gone up through rental shortages. Mm-hmm. And so that's brought up kind of the, the economy as a whole. But mm-hmm. I don't know, like Vancouver, Toronto, it's it's really just a scarcity of where they can build, right? So Calgary. Yeah, they're limited for sure. I, 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 th- I think the only, I mean, the only way that it's going up is because people can afford it. And mm-hmm. the only way that they can afford it is because the greatest tax-free savings program of all time has been a single detached house mm-hmm. in Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean... 70% of average household incomes tied up. I've said it before. 70% of uh, the average Canadian household's net worth is tied up into their family house. And now you've just doubled that net worth through, right? <laughs> yeah. And then that person now has like 1.5 million tax free it's to go spend on something. Snowball. Yeah. And then, it, and then it snowballs, right? So as a new, like we're talking about first time home buyers, that's a serious problem in Vancouver. Um, Household, yeah, average household income is 90,354. Where is this? This is Vancouver. In Vancouver. Yeah, so as a first time home buyer, you're, you're what, right now at, a, at an insured income, you can afford like what, $385,000? Yeah. Yeah, so it's maybe like a studio in East Van, something, probably not even yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. mobile. I, I think my message to people in Vancouver and Toronto is like maybe look in the mirror, like, why are you participating in these economies? Um, Alberta's calling the uh, <laughs> please. The posters have been everywhere. Yeah. Average household income's higher. Mm-hmm. If you have employable skills, this is a place that's going to take care of you. Right. Uh, if you want to stay in Canada, so I mean, we did that. We were in Vancouver a couple of years ago, and we were in like a little one bedroom in Yale Town, and it was like, what are we doing? Right. Like we want we want to make some more investments, improve our life, and do some traveling instead of just like working on this like month to month to month to month and back to back. And it only took us two years to really get our boots under us and really mm-hmm. start taking off. And yeah, the uh, the city's taking care of you in that regard. But um, I, yeah, I don't know if the savings is really. I have quite a few friends in those two municipalities that are, are really intelligent people and really good at budgeting. Mm-hmm. And just mathematically, it does not line up. The, the mm. bank parameters around what they'll lend you do not line up. Um, it'll take them like 45 years of like hardcore savings and no holidays to go and afford a house. Okay. I mean, that's a fair enough statement. I guess I don't know anyone personally in that situation. It's yeah. It's, I mean, you can go downtown Calgary, find a condo down there for like $200,000. That same condo is over five Mm. in, you know, so we're not even looking at the nicest stuff in Vancouver. Anything here that we think is at a crazy price at like five or 600,000 is 1.4, 1.5, 1.6 in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it, it just seems that they keep on snowballing. And the only reason why people keep on participating is because people keep on making money. And it's, you know, around and around and around and around. So I guess let's, let's clarify on 
individual sales tax uh, of your of your house of your primary property that was thrown around a couple of years ago. I'm not suggesting that that tax should be paid. I think that would be an awful idea. We do not have the pension program in Canada to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, like what's what, what's going to happen when all this property uh, is then turned over and sold at these higher valuations? Like, will it ever come down? When it does come down, will we just go into this crazy? recessionary period because individuals life savings are just destroyed by this housing dip mm-hmm. it's a it's a precarious spot to be in but i guess circling around to our original questions i i think it is at least my general interpretation that i don't think anything that has been put on the table here will have the necessary dramatic effect on the housing mm-hmm. uh, affordability so i don't perceive housing prices shattering in the near future well unless something like i i tell clients you know we got to look at the world stage i mean calgary and canada in general are on the up and up but when you start to look at the world stage that's kind of where you have to put your focus in because unless something happens on the world stage i don't see canada slowing down anytime soon right um i think these programs are are great initiatives and they've got some thought a little bit behind them and they're trying to make it look like they're doing something but i can i agree with you i can't see something changing so um yeah with that being said i i think that it's nice to see the government doing something but at the same time it's not enough so in the third episode actually in this series when after we dive into these a little bit deeper we're going to have an open conversation about what we believe is a better option to do on top of these initiatives which is going to be interesting actually what so. is yeah? What is the real answer to housing affordability? We've kind of uh, we've picked apart the existing programs and, and why we think they're relatively ineffective or, mm-hmm. or weak programs in general, mm-hmm. which is you know consistent with both you here on the news all the time. But it's it's really just fact, um, and so we're gonna pick apart and see mm-hmm. you know what would be our suggestion first and foremost repeal GST. <laughs> you should run for mayor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's wrap this up here then. Um, good conversation. Thanks for completely doing your research and, and owning a lot of that. So I appreciate you for that. Uh, next week, I'll make sure to come back a little bit more prepared to have better conversations and a little bit more insight into these things. So thank you very much. Um, we'll see you on the next one. See you on the next one. <laughs>